Right, welcome everyone to Fazlift's podcast, episode 43. Um, I've got with me today uh, guest, Nate Spear. Nate, welcome. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Uh, I have a lot of time on my hands, so I'm glad to be here. <laughs> awesome. So I thought I'd do a quick introduction to, to Nate. Uh, Nate's been a bodybuilder now for a good number of years. He competed, he has been competing in the NPC, uh, NPC League for the last four years. Uh, did very, very well last year and came extremely close to getting his pro card. So he's on today for me to quiz him about all things bodybuilding. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you pretty much got it down. I just, <clears throat> when we were talking, I was actually sort of surprised. Uh, you had pretty good on my history, uh, did your research. So I really appreciate that. I uh, feel like I'm still a small guy. So for you to do your research on that is uh, very appreciative. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So we'll get straight into the first question. Now, what I like to do is I like to get an idea of where people's motivation came from, where, why they started. Because it's, it's, it's more than just sets and reps. So let's talk a bit about what motivated you to start bodybuilding and when did you actually originally begin to lift weights for the first time? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a couple key points um, that I would definitely emphasize, not just like one sort of thing. I, I think um, one thing that really helped me is when I was younger, <clears throat> I was very athletic played a lot of sports and sort of weight training it can go hand in hand with that for most, most of it. Um, and when I was growing up, I was always, uh, I didn't really know much about bodybuilding, but I knew when I was younger that I was stronger than the other kids, you know, that was sort of one of my strengths, pun, no pun intended, but, uh, you know, it was like one of those things, you know, everyone, you know, one of the kids might be very fast. One might catch up on, you know, if you're basketball, he just shoots really well off the bat. I've always been strong. So I played basketball growing up. So I was very like, good at rebounding and just sort of using my body and just <clears throat> being sort of aggressive and, you know, just having a lot of strengths. And uh, I remember <clears throat> in high school, it was, I think I was a freshman and, you know, we had like a winter carnival, a lot of, a lot of contests. And so a lot of schools do that around here. And, you know, one of the contests was like the bench press, um, you know, and uh, I think I did like 315 and when I was a freshman. Wow. And, um, yeah, just, for, yeah, so. just, just for us in the UK, if I can interrupt, what age is freshman? Uh, I believe I was probably 14, Holy maybe shit. 15. Yeah. <laughs> okay. right. And I didn't really do a lot of weight training at that point. It was just, and bench press has always been something that I was naturally strong at just from the even beginning of bodybuilding. So, I mean, I did one rep, but I was still like blew away the seniors and stuff. Everyone was like, what the hell? And then <clears throat> like, uh, arm wrestling, you know, when you're a kid, you sort of do that. And that came naturally. I was always really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but moving on, um, couple other like I said there's some key points of motivation um, another one when I look back is my sister uh, she's my half sister she was actually a female bodybuilder back in the uh, early 90s so this is when they only had female bodybuilding and men's bodybuilding <clears throat> so she was very very good at that she didn't turn pro because it was very hard back then but she was uh, placing top five at like the USA's and stuff <clears throat> so she was very close at that um, and then uh, growing up, she would come because she was living in California. So she would come back home, visit uh, the family and stuff for, for Christmas and stuff. <clears throat> and uh, she would bring back like her boyfriend or whatever. And it was usually some really, really big bodybuilder. And, you know, I'm like 10 or 11 at that point. And, uh, <laughs> get, you know, they're just like massive. And <laughs> you're like, yeah, holy crap. Like, that's pretty impressive, you know. And that, that was always saying that too, that also drew to me like muscle was always really impressive to me <clears throat> and it was something that I was like oh man I wouldn't mind looking like that someday you know but do, do, um, did you also have um, sort of cartoon influences when you were growing up like uh, He-Man yeah. and stuff like that um I was definitely 
not necessarily big into the comic books, but I would see guys like, you know, Wolverine and his, yeah. uh, I can't remember the other one that was the evil one. I always liked the uh, skeletal, uh, saber tooth, <laughs> saber tooth. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was badass to me. It was pretty know, cool. Was yeah. Cool. <laughs> a lot of those evil characters that had a lot of muscle and they were like, sort of just really aggressive. I was like, Oh man, that guy's really, really cool. <laughs> uh, and then also the, probably the, so I went a lot of, um, my, uh, younger adulthood without like lifting or weight training because one of the biggest motivation was actually um battled with drug addiction uh at a younger age so between the ages of probably 15 or 16 to uh 26 um i was sort of battling uh with some pretty heavy drug addiction and it escalated into some some serious stuff and i went to prison for a little bit and got some weight training in there and um, took me a couple few times to sort of get get clean and sober, you know, like a couple bouts, you know, going to rehab and stuff like that. And I mean, one of the things was, you know, uh, like when I did clean up, there was nothing, no better feeling than lifting weights. Yeah. And uh, like, you know, that feeling of it just was like, especially when you first start getting it, it's like that pure joy that um, you're you're making a, uh, you know, good progress. Um, and just the feeling of like chasing a pump, you know what I mean? Just being in the gym and like sweating and working hard. Um, it was just some of the, one of those things that really uh, I could attribute to uh, getting clean and sober this last time and staying that way. You know that, what I mean? That period of time when you sort of, you got out of jail and you were getting clean sober, that must've been a really difficult time. What, what were you, what were you thinking at that stage? Were you just thinking, look, I've got to get clean. Were you thinking I've got to make something of myself? What, what was the thought process? Oh man, it's uh, yeah, it's a hard thought process process mm. because well, one, you feel like there's no hope and you're never going to sort of get anywhere or make any um, sort of strides in uh, you know, recovery. It's just one of those things where you just feel so beaten down and broken. You know, it's like, it's like saying being in debt, you know, a hundred thousand dollars and saying, Hey, in a year, you're going to be up a hundred thousand dollars. You're like, that's impossible. Right. Um, so it's sort of similar to that respect. Um, and it's really, I mean, it's sort of cliche, but <clears throat> the popular saying is one day at a time. And I mean, that's really, you just really can't, uh, project too much into the future. Um, I think a lot of the tools that I've actually learned in recovery are applicable to bodybuilding, you know, taking it one day at a time, um, sort of self-reflection, um, sort of not being too hard on yourself, but also being hard on yourself. You know what I mean? There's a fine line there. Yeah. Being hard on yourself enough that you get the job done, but not dwelling on any kind of failures or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's an interesting thing. I mean, I, I used to be a school teacher and what I used to say to some of the really troubled kids was that there's nothing that I can say, which is going to make you feel the level of sort of disappointment that, and sadness that you will feel when you're an adult and you're saying to the world, Hey, I'm here. Give me respect. Give me what I, what I, what I, what I want. And nobody's listening because you don't have that sort of, you don't have those prospects. And like for you coming out of jail, I mean, that must've been just, just crazy difficult, but it's, it's, it's interesting to hear your thought experience, like just take it day by day. And what was, what was some of the defining moments during that period, which led to you, you know, getting back on track? Um, I think a big help was I did this time I did like an extended, uh, treatment. So I did the 28 day inpatient rehab that most people do. And then after that, 
I did um, some extensive, they call it transitional living here. So you're, it's almost like a halfway house where you're, you know, you, you're still living in a facility with supervision, but you're, you know, working, getting a job, saving, um, you know, it's, it's funny because it's almost like you're beginning adulthood, but you're, you know, 28 or, you know, 26, whatever I was at the time, you know what I mean? So you're really just fresh. Like a lot of these people, it's another thing to realize is it's okay to be like, okay, I'm maybe I'm not actually 18 or 19, but you really are because you're starting everything from scratch. You haven't established, you know, what a normal adult would or normal, like 20, you know, 22 year old would when they start, you know, um, their life, you know what I mean? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Um, But yes, incredible story. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, one thing was just, I started in a whole new area. Um, so I didn't go back to, you know, I would, in the past, I would go back to my sort of hometown. Um, and I would just try to say, Hey, I can do this. You know what I mean? And this time I started in a whole new area I'd never been to. Um, it was still like close to home, but I mean, it was like an hour and a half, two hours. So it was enough where I was sort of safe and I didn't, wasn't going to run into old contacts or, Cause it's very easy in the beginning to say, Hey, I'm not going to do this, but you're walking down to the market or, you know, gas station and you run into someone and next thing you know, you know what I mean? It's sort of, oh, sure. you're like, oh, I can do this once, you know, cause again, it's similar to bodybuilding. Your mind can play tricks on you very easily. Um, and there's plenty of times in bodybuilding, especially in prep, you know, you're getting close and you're, oh, I need to do more cardio or oh, I need a, I need a cheat meal cause I'm flat. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So the mind is very powerful in that uh, regard and you're vulnerable in both situations, you know, in prep and also when you're trying to get clean and sober, you know. So in terms of combating that, was it just a case of setting yourself firm boundaries and then sticking to those principles and those rules? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you have to have, I think, <clears throat> goals and um, sort of targets to hit and um, make sure you meet those requirements. So, you know, one of my things was uh, I just got into the AA program over here. Um, and I would go to a meet, I made myself go to a meeting every day. Um, I would make myself meet people in the program, you know, that had sobriety and sort of had something that I was looking for, you know, like peace and happiness, you know, had a good career, you know, happy life, stuff like that. Um, so I would make myself sort of get out of my, uh, comfortable zone and sort of meet those people. Um, and then also over here, you know, it's, or at least I'm sure over there too, but AA is very big and uh, for recovery. And uh, one thing they have is called the 12 steps. Um, yeah, that really helped yeah. me. Yeah. It's actually like a lot of people look at it as almost like sort of cultish, but it really is just like something that helps um, like a, the way of living. You know, it's, there's a lot of tools that I think even non drug addicts or alcoholics could use um, that actually would help in everyday life, you know? Well, it's interesting you say that because that's actually what I was going to ask about as the next point is you see people to who are doing this kind of stuff to a lesser extent and trying to work themselves out of a hole. But the amount of sort of mental shortcuts they take to say, well, I can do this. I can do this. A, a big part, a big thing that I'm a big believer is, is, is self-love. But self-love isn't like, um, you know, having a tequila in the bath while your life's falling apart. Self-love is is dealing with your your bullshit, right? It's still first dealing with putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, but that are going to set yourself up for a better life. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. Oh yeah. I mean, one of the biggest tools I could have learned in that was, um, you know, they call it self inventory, 
you know, it's going uh, inside of yourself and checking off. Okay. You're going through and saying, okay, am I, you know, why am I being an asshole? Why am I being resentful towards this person? You know, why am I maybe um, sleeping around and not, you know, being faithful to a partner or why am I um, not, not showing up to work every day on time, which all those things can cause an effect of being unhappy, but you don't really realize that in the moment, you know, if that makes sense. If you've, it, it makes total sense. But I guess my question is, to to the audience who who might be thinking about this, how it's so hard to evaluate yourself, your self evaluate because that voice in your head is is the voice that you've been used to since you were a child. It's the same voice. So how how do you determine whether whether what you're doing is is destructive or not? How do you know? Yeah, that's a hard part because also. I find this with bodybuilding too. There's some people that might be a little delusional. Right, know? right, exactly. So it's, how do you, it's maybe it's a hard one to learn. I think, um, I think maybe, you know, going through some bad experiences in life maybe can get you honest with yourself. So it might be, you know, there's some people that maybe have never gone through anything um, bad or had people say uh, or call them out, you know what I mean? Or sort of bring up their, sort of uh you know bad habits um so they might i mean it might be something that you learn with experience maybe i think so i think i think it does take going through some bad experiences to really make you sit and evaluate that okay that was a fuck up i i messed that up and i could have done better and i need to find out how i could have done better yeah because i think um i got there because i gotten kicked down to the ground so many times where i before when i was younger i would say no i'm doing the right thing i i I wouldn't even know that I'd be egotistical or, yeah. you know, um, fearful is a, is a powerful one um, that can cause a lot of harm insecurities. A lot of people are assholes because they are insecure. You know what I mean? But they don't really actually know that, you know, mm. stuff like that. Absolutely. Do you, do you see that in people around you now? Now you've sort of come out the other side and you're able to work on yourself. Do you see that with other people who you interact with? Oh, um, all the time, <laughs> but it's one of those things. It's sort of, you really can't, um, you know, it's one of those things if someone's not aware, you can't, or not asking for help. Uh, it's really hard to sort of bring up the subject. And even people that I've, I've helped a lot of people in early stages of recovery, and even they don't really want to do the work. And another, um, you know, commonality with bodybuilding is saying, you know, someone comes to you new and they say, hey, here's what you got to do. Like you don't take these supplements, you got to eat all this food and do this and that. And, and the work, it's the same thing when people are getting sober. It's like, hey, you can't just will this to happen. You actually got to do this, that, and the third. And they don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Damn, that's such a good See point. Similarity? That is such a good point. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's, the cool part is with this is <clears throat> I get to see a lot of, um, you know, common stuff with bodybuilding and recovery. And there's a lot of stuff that's applicable and, you know, I'm privileged. I feel like I'm privileged to have that in my arsenal. You know what I mean? I, I absolutely love that. I mean, what you've summarized there for me is, is how I basically see the entire direction of this podcast. It's, it's using bodybuilding as a teaching tool for life, you know, and applying things you've learned to into life to bodybuilding and vice versa as well. And I, I think that's just a great example of that. I, I, yeah, really, thank you for that. It's amazing. Oh, totally. I mean, like, what is the purpose of bodybuilding just to say chase to be the Mr. Olympian? You get nothing out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's got to be more depth to that because we're not all going to be Mr. Olympia. You know what I mean? We're not all going to turn pro. You know what I mean? So let's get more out of this, right? That's it. 
I, I think that's awesome. And if I can just piggyback off that off to one more question, and then we'll move on to the rest of the introduction. Um, in terms of talk, you, so we're talking about using bodybuilding to almost be a better person. How do you then escape the trappings of social media? Because I know, I know well, Chester, we've just been talking about, he's sort of pulling back from social media just because he feels it's, it's just such a shit tip. Um, how do you avoid that frustration? Oh, it's definitely hard because social media is like, it, it can pull up your worst flaws because, well, one, I do find myself being very judgmental. You know, you see a lot of people and you say, oh, you know, there's, they're just doing this for clout or, you yes, know, right, they're right. just, um, you know, they don't really understand, or they're posting a picture, you know, three times a day in their prep and it's like, they're not even in shape. And you get to this point where you can very, you know, pick everyone apart that's posting on social media. You know what I mean? And at the same time, it can come back to you because <clears throat> am I really becoming the best bodybuilder being on social media because it can be distractive and it can also um, create um, not necessarily uh, the, uh, it creates like a false sense of clout. You know what I mean? As well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people lie to themselves on social media and, a lot of what you see and we're not just talking bodybuilding but just in general what you see of the impression of their lives is generally it seems to be the ones who shout the loudest about it tend to be the ones who are basically putting up the most front right and i think it also is it becomes that um fine line of okay is this my life reality or is this my life as what i want people to see it right yeah, yeah absolutely so you can fall into that trap as well even if you you have um it's one of those things where you see other people doing it and you can, it's, it's similar to that regard as, Hey, it's like if, if people that you're hanging around are negative, then you'll become negative. You might not be hanging around these people, but if you're on Instagram all day and sort of that's sort of the group you're following or whatever, you might find yourself doing these things as well. Right. Absolutely. And we've, we've seen a lot of negativity and a lot of just stupidity recently with, you know, the coronavirus oh. and just so much, you know, 5G, Bill Gates, God yeah. knows what else. And oh, you know, man. Yeah. everyone's got everything figured out, right? Everyone's it's... an expert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we'll say what we'll move on. We'll move on with the introduction, but, but thank you for that. That was a, that was a really interesting chat. So if, actually I, do, yeah. I will touch on, please I, do. I yeah. Say please do. Yeah. This, I know, I think you're aware, but I actually last prep, I did a, a whole prep just about without posting on Instagram. The silent, prep, yep. the silent prep, yep. Yeah. I've, I've just written it down, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty refreshing, I won't lie. It was, a, it was a good experience because it really made me true to myself and my bodybuilding. You know, it was just me training, eating, and I didn't have to worry about, you know, what am I going to post today? Am I going to look like this or that? Or, you know, am I promoting this product or that product? Or, you know, it was just straight up, you know, old school, you know, prepping, eating, and you know, training and just sort of getting the job done. Yeah, I love that. I, I actually mentioned to you on your group bodybuilding, bodybuilding by bodybuilders on Facebook. Yeah. Quick shout yeah. out to them. I mentioned how much I really enjoyed your talk about that. I think it was on Advices Radio or Think or Big. Yeah. Think, yeah, it was one of those. Um, but I thought that was great. I was, was brilliant. I actually, you, you inspired me at the time to probably do my next preps in a similar fashion because I respond better to just getting in my own head and getting through right. stuff done and not worrying about it. Uh, just focusing on the stuff I need to focus. I'm quite busy most of the time, just focusing on the stuff I need to focus on. So I really like the idea of the silent prep. Yeah, it definitely, I suggested to anyone just to do it once, just to see sort of, it's another like testament of your mental toughness as well, you know, cause you're not really getting that, you know, clout or, you know, um, exposure or like feeling good of people commenting saying, Oh, you rock, you're awesome. This is going to help motivate me to get through my prep. You know, it's just yeah. you and getting the job done. Right. 
yeah, it was a big statement you made that with that. That was that was awesome. Very cool. Um, so we'll we'll talk about. Um, I wanted to talk about your competitive career prior to 2016, because um, you mentioned a little bit about that on your, on the previous podcast you were on, but uh, you sort of glazed over. Just what what were you, what was that anyway? Because you're with a different federation. Yeah, so I started with a WMBF, and I did an OCB show as well. So that's like the natural organizations over yep. in America. Yep, I'm aware of those. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I pretty much um, I I'd been training maybe a year, and I did progress pretty fast. And you know, I was getting a lot of people coming up to me at the gym, you know, saying, "Hey, you should do a bodybuilding show. You know, you look really good, etc." You know, some people even were claiming, you know, I might be on something when I wasn't, <laughs> you know, so that's yeah. a pretty good indicator that you're, you're making some good progress, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I was always fascinated by bodybuilding. You know, I started training to feel good and uh, sort of mental health wise. But I always I remember back in the day, you know, I did see the magazines of, you know, Jay on the cover and, <laughs> yeah. you know, guys like that where I was just like, holy shit, what is that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> how, just like how, blown away. <laughs> how, how old are you, Nate? um 34 in june right so we, we would have been i'm 38 so we would have been fairly similar age because i i got into bodybuilding in a similar way as you did it was actually my brother who um bought around some bodybuilding magazines so it was another sibling influence and uh, i i probably saw a lot of the similar magazines you did sort of late 90s early 2000s and yeah jay was huge then and, and cutler oh, yeah. cutler uh, Rob coleman and obviously yates as well they, they, were they, were they, like pretty yeah. much pretty much the man i mean he was on every you know, cover. He was also very well at uh, promoting himself too. So, you know, he was sort of seen everywhere in that hair, you know what I mean? And the visor <laughs> was sort <Yeah>. of like <laughs> his thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. So you were, you were with, you did some natural shows for roughly what year was that? Did you start? The 2015? Two, right? 2013 the and 30, 2014. Right. Gotcha. Um, and I did those preps actually by myself mm-hmm. and sort of did the old, uh, you know, YouTube, Google, how to bodybuild, you know, yes. <laughs> um, sort of the very, very basics, um, you know, and sort of crash dieted, um, didn't really know much about anything as far as diet goes, especially diet. I pretty much just knew how to train hard. Um, didn't really know much what I was doing and I pretty much just starved myself for my first prep. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't really think about keeping my muscle, just really wanted to get shredded and, you know, didn't really put much thought into it. Um, did fairly well. I mean, first show i think i got second and then the second one i got third all right and the lineups were not bad back then um they've sort of dwindled down as far as the natty organizations have gone they're getting a little bit smaller especially since classic physique came out you know yeah um in the npc a lot i see a lot of natural guys are sort of taking a whack at that you know when when you did go to the npc uh who was your coach at that point Uh, i could i tried to have a look but i couldn't find out who Who's your current coach and who's your coach back then? So actually, yeah, it was a pretty cool story. Um, when I, so I did the two natural shows by myself and, you know, I finally made the, I did enough research at that point um, about, you know, hopping on gear and stuff like that. And I knew I wanted to at some point, but I just didn't know when I was going to be ready. Um, I wanted to be very sort of smart about it and patient, you know, sort yeah. of do a lot of research and not really just jump right into it blindly. Um, so one of the things too, I was like, well, I should probably get a coach. And this was about the time, this was 2015. I mean, coaches were popular, but I mean, Instagram, I don't even know. I'd probably just gone on Instagram at that point. So it wasn't quite what it is now. Um, there are coaches, but it wasn't like, 
it sort of grew each year from like 2015 on as far as the coaching stuff goes. <clears throat> um, so my, my coach I ended up hiring was Andrew Barry. Um, he's not, he's, he's pretty popular, but he's not quite like a Jansen or, you know, something of that notoriety, which I actually recommend. It was actually probably better for me because <clears throat> he could give me more attention. And well, yeah. Grew into the I mean, relationship. I've heard, I've heard Palumbo say the amount number of clients he's got like 300 or 400 or whatever. And I just think, how, how is that? How'd you do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Andrew Berry, that's, that's great. So have you been with him? You're with him now? Yep. Yep. So we've great. been the, been together the whole time. Um, it was actually pretty cool because it wasn't the traditional, you know, higher prep coach. I actually trained with his uh, brother-in-law who lived in my area. <clears throat> um, and then he was actually getting ready for a show in 2015, which just pretty big in our area. It's called the Cutler Classic. It's in Boston. Yeah. I've heard of it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so he was prepping for that. And this is my first time actually going to an NPC show and stuff like that. So I, I went down to check it out. He looked really great. And uh, we sat down for dinner afterwards and chatted a little bit. It was sort of like, almost like a screening, you know, it was like, sort of, I wanted this guy to be my coach, but I sort of wanted to interview him a little bit too. Of course, you know? yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, so we chatted and we had a good time and just chatted for about an hour. And, you know, at that point, I really felt like we had a good connection. Um, we're on the same level as far as like uh, personalities and sort of our visions and, uh, you know, I pretty much made the decision after that night, you know, to sort of bring them on the team, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's super important. It, I think for, for the most part, just being able to get on with it, your coaches is, is really, really important. The fact that they understand you and you're the same wavelength. Uh, a lot of times that's perhaps even more important than the details, you know? Oh, definitely. Cause there's been people I've <clears throat> recommended for and to Andrew and they might not have sort of uh, clicked as well. And, you know, they moved on and found someone that maybe did click with them more, you know, as, as far as, uh, you know, sort of similar wavelengths and there's been people that have, you know, it's sort of one of those things, you know, you sort of just click with someone and you find what's right. I just looked up uh, Andrew Berry now and I just brought up his stats and he's about, it says here he's 270 off season, which is about your weight right now. I think I saw your story this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Finally hit 270. <laughs> That's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Um, is he, is Andrew still competitive? Uh, yeah, he is. Um, he took, I think a year or two off. It's actually, his coaching has gotten really busy and then um, myself and uh, his fiance, Rachel is actually an IFBB pro in bikini. Right. Okay. So last year we had a really busy season. He's usually there for both of our shows and stuff like that. So very supportive. So, you know, I was doing North Americans in fall and then also nationals at the end of the end of the fall in November. <clears throat> so he was there for both those. And then Rachel did some summer shows. So, and he, I think he, now he's got about a hundred clients, so he's gotten really busy. So it's one of those things where he's, a lot of these coaches, it seems to sort of be similar as far as, you know, they, they, they're competitive bodybuilders, but they get so busy where it's sort of, you know, do I take a hit on the business side or, you know, keep bodybuilding, you know? Well, I think, uh, I think Sid's old coach uh, or current coach, I forget, uh, it was Andrew Vu. I think he, yep. he mentioned him and he said he did a similar thing and he basically gave up a lot of his competitive aspirations just to spend more time coaching. So that was the route he took. Uh, but it's understandable if you get to that point where, and I mean, you, do, you do some coaching as well. So you, you know, you want to give your best to your clients. And so you have to make that choice at some point. Oh, definitely. And, uh, you know, Andrew's got a great physique. He's, he's a little bit taller, he's 6'1", but he has a beautiful shape, uh, tiny waist, um, you know, great sort of X frame. 
Um, so it's one of those things, you know, I'd like to see him back on stage. It's just sort of, you know, if the timing's right, he's sort of has, uh, insinuated to me. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, so let's uh, move on now to uh, a little bit more about yourself and just about motivation. We have talked a little bit about your view on discipline versus motivation, like you're sticking to a schedule, sticking to rules you've set yourself. But my, my final question for this section was, what are the most important things in your life that keep you moving forward? just in life and in bodybuilding what what's the what's the driving force behind behind is, is it a sense of accomplishment is it a sense of making something of yourself or what is it um i guess i mean i really enjoy progress so i mean as far as you know bodybuilding goes i've always sort of i i think i've made some a little bit of progress each year which has been um very rewarding for myself and uh, a good accomplishment um for me and how people sort of perceive me you know as a guy that's you know made accomplishments each year and right exactly you know, that's a motivation um in itself uh you know to each year sort of continue that sort of streak um and uh, not only that i mean like i said it's sort of <clears throat> with my past uh you know i got a little bit of a late start in adulthood so you know a motivation is for me is just sort of to keep um you know little things um you know keep keep further in my career, maybe, maybe even go back to school. Um, me and my girlfriend have talked about and stuff like that. Um, you know, little things like that and, you know, like getting a house, you know, s simple stuff like that, that, uh, you know, sort of, uh, gives you a good sense of accomplishment. You know what I mean? I, I, I can totally relate. I mean, I think, I think Arnold said it the best. He says life is about progress. And I believe that I think without a challenge, it, people generally tend to get into a slump and get unhappy. And I think living life without a challenge can be quite dangerous for people's mental health, but constantly having something to aim for, whatever it is, little things, it's, it's really oh, good for definitely. our mental health. Yeah. I think that's another key is, you know, there's a lot of things that are hard and, you know, take a lot of work, but the reward <clears throat> ends up producing, you know, overall happiness. And, yeah. you know, one of the best things in the world, you know, and the best feelings is when you're content with yourself and you're happy and, um, you know, it's little things like, you know, say during this quarantine, if say, you know, someone just sits on a couch all day, are they going to be happier or more depressed? Probably more depressed. Right. So exactly. simple thing like getting off the couch, say you go for sprints, you don't even like to sprint. You sprint for 15, 20 minutes or do, you know, suicides, we call them here. I guarantee you after, yeah, it's going to suck, but you'll be more happy and feel much better after, you know what I mean? Little things like that. Yeah, and then you can sit down at the end of the day and think, look, I, I had a good day today. I accomplished what I set out to do. I did it. Right. Yeah, and, it, that, and then that builds up into a week and then a month. And then before you know it, you're getting to your goals. And I, I try and say the same thing to a lot of my clients as well. Just say that's if when the goings gets hard, like if you're upset about something, if you're sad, just carry on with your schedule. Just keep going. The biggest, um, you know, uh, I think, um, you know, a great tool to have in your belt is having the power to, just do something and not think about it. You know, a lot of people too, it's like jumping off a bridge. <laughs> it's like, say when you're younger and you know, you're going to jump off a 20 foot bridge into the water. You don't think about it. You just jump. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, so it's a similar idea is, you know, the more you sit up there and you say, Oh man, this is scary up here. You're not going to do it. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. So it's one of those things where you just, uh, you know, you just sort of do it. It's like ripping off a bandaid. So if you can get better at that, as far as, you know, hard things to do in life, um, and not sit there and, you know, oh man, this is going to happen or this, that, you know, like this is something to be scared of. Yeah. Um, that's stuff you're going to talk yourself out of doing, you know what I mean? 
I completely agree. I think it's it can it can almost sound a little bit callous to when you say it to people, but it's really not. It's the most caring thing you can say to people, and it goes back to the whole thing about sort of dealing with your own BS. It's the most caring thing you say to people is, look, that's what you need to do. Just do it. You'll feel better. Like if you baby them, it's not always the best thing to do long term. And I, I think that I, I truly believe that. And I think with with somebody who needs to get something done, like for you know their physique or a competition or whatever, just go, just get it done. You'll feel better. I trust me. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one thing I've always been sort of fearful of is and you see it a lot in, you know, common day society is people that say they work the same job for 20 or 30 years and they're comfortable. You know what I mean? They're making decent yeah. money, but they're not happy. It's like, if you're not happy, what's sort of the goal? And yeah, there's a lot of fear of like sort of breaking off in, into something else, but you know, I never really want to fall into that and I'm not quite there yet. I'm happy, but I mean, I think I can keep progressing to find something that I really enjoy you know what I mean? But also sort of make money and make a living and, you know, be content. Yeah, I completely agree. And I've seen the negative side of that when people being in those jobs for such a long time, the knock-on effect it has onto them and their family. And it's, it can be quite disastrous. But um, yeah, right. We'll say what we'll do. We'll move on to some talk about competition. Now, the last four years I've seen you come up against some absolute monsters and you were very, very close in your last contest and in the pro card. My question to you is, what do you feel you need to do to get a pro card next season? this season you know it's it's funny because i think that one of the biggest things um one of those best uh attributes i have is sort of playing uh at my own pace you know and not sort of you know because i'm a 510 uh super heavyweight so that means a lot of the guys in my class are a little bit bigger than me they're going to have more muscle than me Mm -hmm. so the best thing i can do i think is not chase you know these guys and say hey i need to put on 20 pounds of muscle you know what i need to do is just keep uh improving my strengths you know um so that means you know each year putting on two to five pounds of muscle um in the right places you know i think my legs could use a little bit more depth to them i have a my legs aren't bad but i don't really have them very sweepy or poppy on the sides you know like some guys do um so if i can just keep getting them bigger you know what i mean they might appear more (laughs) a little bit sweep hopefully um yeah, I mean, you've, got, you've got an amazing X-frame already. So, yeah, anything else to enhance that would be awesome. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I think it's just sort of, you know, just keeping at my own pace, um, not getting too ahead of myself and saying, hey, I got to do something extreme. Um, you know, just I think I have – I like my physique and I think it's pleasing. So I think I just need to just keep adding little pieces here and there and it'll sort of just slowly come, come into itself. I think a lot of people – get ahead of themselves and say, Hey, I need to have this tremendous off season and, you know, blow up and, you know, it's, it doesn't always pay off. And also it can be also very disheartening for them because it's very hard to do. And a lot of people think just cause you're not coming out of a show, you're going to have a rebound if you're perfect and you're going to put on 15, 20 pounds of muscle, but you know, it's very rare. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I like that answer. Uh, I think, and it's, it's evidently worked for you because you've made some amazing progress in the last four years, just doing what you need to do. And I, th- I think personally for, for me, and I'm not a bodybuilding expert, I think you could, you could have flipped the coin on the competition last year. That's my opinion. Oh, yeah. I thought you looked amazing. Close, yeah. It was, it was close. Yep. So I think, um, you know, if I look at, you know, say if you, if you progress, you know, the past four years, it's say, well, uh, I think the first year I did nationals in 2016, I got last place. And then I did USA's in 2018, I got seventh place. And then, you know, last year I got second and third. So if I just keep at the pace, hopefully, you know, we'll just keep on, uh, you know, that'll, uh, 
hold true and I'll turn pro, you know? I think so. I think so. Um, so if we move on to the final question about a competitive competition, what is the most challenging aspect of bodybuilding to you? You seem like a very strong individual who's got a lot of sort of, who's very introspective about what he does, but what's the most, what, what do you find the hardest? Um, I do enjoy all of it, but honestly, I mean, eating a lot of food is really hard. <laughs> um, like if you're truly, you know, like at this point, I mean, we dropped our calories down a little bit the last week, but before that I was at about 5,500 uh, calories of you know, diet food. Yeah. And that's a that's lot of a lot clean of food. food. For me. Yeah. <laughs> so some guys eat more than that. I'm like, how do you do that? I don't yeah. How to, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I was at the point, like sort of that peak point of, you know, it's, you just sort of get sick of food and it's pretty monotonous sometimes, you know, it's, you're not making like when you're in show prep, you're, you're sort of making progress. You're looking different each week. You, yeah. You're sort of getting motivated by just the, the physical appearance and, you know, cool stuff happening. Whereas, you know, say I'll prolong the off season, you just don't really change much and you sort of, <laughs> yeah. sort of soft and <laughs> you're, you're sick of eating. So it can be a little hard, you know, in that aspect. Yeah. A, che- a cheat meal in the off season is just not eating. I think. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. That's half the time. Honestly, I don't even take a cheat meal because you're eating so much food and you really don't even, don't even care at that point. And not only that, you're like, Hey, if I eat this cheat meal tomorrow morning, meal one is going to be a bitch to get down. Right. right exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. So we'll, we'll talk about uh, bodybuilding then and just your, your off season and stuff. Um, you had a, a bit of a, a bicep, just something, a tweak anyway. What, how's that? Firstly, how is that now? And secondly, what are some of the worst injuries you've had? Um, well, I was actually doing really well now. Um, actually it's funny cause the quarantine has been a, I wouldn't say a blessing, but <laughs> some, some good stuff has come out of it. Um, so uh, one of those things has been a lot more rest. Um, and then another, another thing is, um, you know, I've been able to put my main focus on bodybuilding. Um, <clears throat> so one thing I do, so I have battled a little bit with um, like a lot of tendonitis. I've never really had any serious injuries, luckily. Good. So no like breaks or tears or, you know, anything like that. Um, I do. Usually it's usually in the off season. So I think it's a lot to do with inflammation and stuff like that and just heavy lifting um, and a lot of volume. Um, So usually I get elbow or bicep or tricep tendonitis. And even in my wrist, I've gotten some kind of um, some weird stuff going on where, you know, I might have to take a week off because I can't even press, you know, because I can barely bend my wrist. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So like little things like that, just like sort of nagging. And then my knees, you know, you, you sort of get, you progress on the hack squat and that can be a little rough on your knees and you know sooner or later you might have to take a week off the hack squat little things like that you know what i mean yeah but you're, you're pretty sensible about just taking time off you're not looking to work through anything then yeah i mean one of the best tools you can <clears throat> have as a bodybuilder especially the longer you do this is having the intuition of when to rest and being able to actually pull the trigger and say i'm gonna rest because <laughs> it can be a hard thing at first you know the biggest thing of advice um, I can give is, you know, knowing when to pull back and not, you know, when I first started out, it was um, more is better. And the biggest thing I found out is more is not always better. Sometimes less is better. You know what I mean? I do. Well, that, that piggybacks quite nice onto the next question. Um, it's a couple of questions, really, but we'll start with the first one. Firstly, this is from Michael O'Keefe. What What does a typical training week look like for you right now? Right now, I am. <laughs> I'm very grateful and blessed to have some sort of facility to train in. It's nothing crazy. It's just like 
some kind of small CrossFit gym, you know, it's privately owned. It's got barbells and dumbbells and a cable okay. machine. Yeah. Um, but I'm only actually another, what I was saying before was, so I only get to train in there three times a week, which has actually been great. You know, it's hard cause I've always been a high volume guy. And, um, the three times a week has been great because my body feels fresh. I feel stronger. Um, and actually, I've noticed my legs have stayed a little fuller. They look a little better. I wouldn't say growth because that's sort of a strong term, but they look actually a lot better lately um, as far as my quads go. Um, so maybe like the once a week thing is actually might be, I might be onto something. <laughs> so is that sort of like a, I guess, a push pull legs or something similar? Yes, yeah, exactly. So I'll do push, push on Monday, then legs Wednesday, and then pull day on Friday. Brilliant. And arms tagged on, I guess, to biceps on pull and triceps on pull. Push. Right. Yeah. yeah brilliant. Yeah. Now let, let's, uh, let's assume you've, you, let's assume we have normal situation and you're not under quarantine. What would a typical week look like then? What's, what's your uh, ideal split? Uh, so I actually, it's funny cause <laughs> I would actually sort of consider myself an oddball, at least in this current trend is I'm actually more of a high volume type of guy and good. not necessarily Me too. progressive <laughs> overload. I, <laughs> I actually do like to do um, uh, two to three uh, working sets of 10 reps, sort of like the classic uh, old, old school bro split. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so a lot of work, a lot of warm up sets <clears throat> and my warm up sets will actually be hard, you know? So I might do 10 to 15, you know, three or four warm up sets and then get to my top sets, which will be like two or three, you know, working sets for 10 to 12 reps. Um, you know, I found that actually keeps me, uh, a little bit healthier and also every time i've sort of tried to do the progressive overload you know very minimal warm-up sets um and then also um you get to one huge top set my joints and my body just sort of doesn't really take it as well you know what I, mean? uh, I i could not agree more i mean i've i've moaned about the whole progressive overload method on my podcast many times oh, people seem to be obsessed about it in the uk i guess it's because of the um dorian yates um yeah. Jordan Peters influence you know jp, yeah. JP influence exactly and, and and so people are obsessed with it but it's it, it does seem to come to the exclusion of form and of any really semblance of nuance of what you should be doing which is putting stress on the muscle um so right. You, you like the volume approach, which is great. So let, let's say we're going to do squats because I've seen you squat. You're a great squat. Talk us through what a typical squat would look like from the bar onwards. Uh, so I would start with the 45 pound on each side and I would do maybe 10 to 12 reps. And then I'd probably sit in the hole a little bit just to get loose, you know, on the hips. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's sort of slow, you know, I'd do some pause reps <clears throat> and then I would just uh, go to two plates. Same idea, 10 to 12 reps, three plates. Then I might go 15, 20 reps and then, four plates or no, I might do three and a quarter. Depends how I feel that day, honestly. Yeah. And then I might go to four plates and then usually I'll go to four plates and a quarter and then to five plates. And then if I'm really strong, it depends where I'm at and sort of the off season, I can get up to like five plates and a quarter and then I'll do a, so squats are different. I won't do like two or three of those sets, but I'll do a back off set. Yeah, you know of I mean? course. Yeah. Uh, so I might go back down to four plates and try to like grind out maybe like 10, I mean, uh, 12, maybe to 15. You know what I mean? And honestly, you know, the thing with squats is I don't know if you can agree, but for some reason, my, my strength really is uh, inconsistent on that. So, you know, maybe one week I'm, uh, you know, squatting maybe, you know, five plates for 10 reps, but maybe the next week I can barely squat four plates for 12. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, I think yeah. it's all, it's all in the do with myself and, you know, having my hips, you know, perfectly loose, my IT band, knees, uh, ankle, uh, calf mobility, I mean, ankle mobility, 
yeah. um, even my shoulder mobility. So that's why a lot of my bicep stress that stemmed from squatting was because my shoulder mobility was so horrible that mm -hmm. my biceps were pinching when I was squatting. Yeah. I mean, at your weight, Nothing. that's understandable. Is you once you get to yeah. being that heavy, it's gonna, you know, but it's gonna flexibility is gonna take a toll. So, all right, that that sounds good. So we've got high volume working up, and we've got the emphasis on the form because I know you've mentioned on your uh, Instagram a few times about depth, and I completely agree with that as well. I think it's super. And important. also, um, so before I squat, actually, it's funny because I actually do a lot of quad extensions, and I'll probably do uh, usually the hip or the whatever the inside thigh one is, the adduction. Adductor, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I'll hit the adductor first usually, get those nice and fired up, get them pumped, and then I'll do the quad extension. I'll usually do work my way up to a really heavy set, and then I'll do another set with like a drop set, something that really gets my fucking quad spread, and then I'll go into squats. <laughs> nice, nice. And so we've got some pre-stuff pre before you do the squats. What about after squats? Are you doing another heavy exercise or backing off? Uh, yeah, so legs I usually do a lot of volume. So I'll do squats, and then I'll either do hack squat or leg press, and then after that I'll do lunges and then i might do some hamstring stuff so um and then also like so a lot of exercises i do love to do pre-fatigue really get the muscle pumped so anytime on chest day i'll do a ton of flies uh really get my my pecs pumped up i mean a lot of people you know complain because it's gonna they're gonna take a dip in strength but once you adjust to that you'll get right back to your sort of normal strength you know what i mean if you do it for a little bit Absolutely, I agree, and and it's just a safer way of doing things. You know, as you say, if you're getting up to those top weights with minimal warm up, it's a it's 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 going to put take a rough toll on the joints. I notice too; it just doesn't my my body doesn't feel right, doesn't connect. So, say if I warm up and stretch, and then I go right to squats, like I'm still not loose enough in the hips and sort of you know everywhere else. But for one, when I do with some abductions and adduction, and then also some quad extensions and really get the blood in there, I just feel so much looser and just sort of flows better. You know what I mean? Okay. So taking you back to the beginning of the, of the, of the question then, a uh, bro split, what would a bro split look like to you? So we've got a leg day, we've got what else? Uh, so actually it's sort of, I guess, I don't know if I call it bro split because it's sort of like customary to myself. So course, what yeah. I've been doing lately is, um, so I would train legs and then I do my rear delts with my back. And then I do shoulders, buys and tries. Nice. Yep. And then I and then I do an off day, and then uh, I think another off day, and then I do hamstrings. And then I do like a lat, like a, a like a width day. So you that's interesting. I mean? Hamstrings like get their own day. Uh, yeah. Nice, nice. Okay. Um, and then it's been a while because I've been in quarantine, so I'm trying to remember. <laughs> but I was I was actually hitting um, biceps and triceps twice a week. And I already have pretty good arms, but I noticed that actually really helped me last season um, because it, it really, uh, it made my already pretty decent arms even better. And so what that did is this is how I analyze myself too. So I analyze myself in my poses. So with the better arms, it made my front double bicep much better and also made my back double bicep much better. Um, I noticed a lot of guys, they might have a really pleasing shape, good front double bicep, but maybe they don't have good arms and it just like kills their front double bicep. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy. <laughs> my, my, my inner biceps, I, I, I need from the side, from the side, sort of like a side chest yeah. shot. They're really strong. And they just, I just, they just, they just hide away in the front of my bicep. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. So yeah, <laughs> I need to or quiz you on that. <laughs> or sometimes I'll see people with a back double bicep, but you can't really see the bicep peak and it just, it doesn't, it's not quite as impressive as if they had the bicep peak popping out. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So th um, this is something you'll tailor for yourself and that, that's kind of what you'd recommend to people you coach as well. 
Yeah. So I think, um, you know, it's hard to say because I already had like decent arms. Mm -hmm. So there are some guys genetically where they sort of, you know, don't really have the greatest arms. So it's hard to say that'll work for them. But I think with arm training, I really think the thing that helped me was, you know, get them pumped and get out. So I would hit them twice a week. So the frequency was there, but the volume was really low, you know, so I'd hit triceps, maybe two movements and biceps, two movements, and then done. And then do that twice a week. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So roughly... I think a lot of people with arms, what happened is they overtrain them like crazy. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't be training your arms for more than like 30, 40 minutes, honestly. Yeah, in my opinion, but. I, I agree. I mean, my, my arms have come up quite a lot over the last year. I did a very big bulking season last last year, and um, my arms were, weren't that big just coming from because I have a powerlifting background and I powerlifted and I did strong oh, yeah. for about fifteen years, and so I was basically all chest, back, and legs and traps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you yeah, the bodybuilding, you're like, oh shit. Yeah, like oh shit. <laughs> so, but last year was pretty good for my arms, and I I did very similar to what you're saying was uh, hit them frequently, not with a great deal of volume per session, just quality work, and just hit them frequently and get out. Well, that's another thing too, is, you know, especially not necessarily triceps, but biceps is like, I think form is really essential and not necessarily weight. You know, it's one of those things where I think, you know, you don't really need to like, you know, curl 50 pound dumbbells, you know, to get uh, good bicep growth. You know what I mean? I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've, we've actually talked about, we've covered the training style question really well. Cause I, my question was going to be about your, about your training style, but you said you're, you're a high volume guy. So just to piggyback off that a little bit, I had an extra question on, um, as I said before, we, we seem to be massively obsessed with uh, Yates and Jordan Peters in the UK. What, what do you think about that approach? Like, uh, I think it's um, honestly perfect for younger guys that are just starting out hmm. and maybe haven't been training, you know, for about 10 years or so and are maybe a little bit younger and more agile, you know, can sort of get beat up and sort of bounce back the next day. Hmm. Um, I think, you know, it all depends on the programming. I think it's like anything, you know, when there's a trend, the problem is <laughs> there's some people that are following the trend but are doing it wrong. So sometimes that can get misinterpreted. So it's like the keto diet. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Like there's people that say they do the keto diet, but they're also eating, you know, bacon and, you know, 70% beef and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. All kinds of shit. So it's really, you know, that's not really the ideal way to do it. So I think it's with anything, it's like who, who's behind the programming, you know what I'm saying? So I, I think something like a Jordan Peters or even a Dorian, you know, it has to be customizable to the person. <clears throat> so that means, you know, the biggest thing is recovery, you know? So if, if you're training really hard and you know, you're not recovering or you're getting beat up, then obviously that's not going to work for you. You know? So I think it, it all depends on really who is doing the programming as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not really against any sort of, you know, program, you know, and I'm a big believer in for a bit of advice for anyone getting started is don't be scared to try, you know, all the options and find out what works for you. Just because Matt Jansen says this works doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. Mm. You know what I mean? And there's been people that also, you know, preach something five years down the road. They're preaching something different because they've experienced, had a different experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, so if, I think you got to go through, you know what I mean? Check the boxes and say, Hey, be a, be your own judge, you know, and really figure out what works for you. I, I, I quite like Matt Janssen's approach to progressive overload. I probably like that better than Jordan Peters. It seems to be slightly higher volume and it seems to be much more focused on the execution. And so he's got that young lad, Nick Walker, on his team, who's phenomenal. But um, he's just got very, very precise exercise form. And if you compare if you compare Nick Walker to the way that Jordan Peters left, I mean, Peters right. sometimes looks like he's hanging off a dear life. It doesn't seem like yeah. building anymore. I don't know what it is. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. His 
Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, I, I will say on a positive note, Jansen, his form is immaculate. He teaches and he, all his guys sort of fall under that guideline. You know what I mean? So his principles are – his training's really good. I agree with most of what he says. Um, you know what I mean? So – and, uh, you know, I follow Nick Walker for a while, and I, I really like his training split. He does sort of something similar where he hits something every five days. Yeah. So it's customizable, you know what I mean? Like sort of what I was saying is, you know, it's sort of what – it's sort of like um, adapted to sort of his body. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred um, percent. So if we move on to like a little bit about diet now, uh, this is a question from Michael O'Keefe again, and James Dunsby is a friend of mine. What are your current diet macros? Uh, is it, do you do a meal plan type of thing? Do you do macros? How do you work it? Yeah. So uh, uh, Andrew does my meal plan year round. And um, so right now, actually one great thing that's sort of working for us is, um, so we've sort of figured out that, we like to do this sort of like push and pull back um, for myself. Um, so that's like what sort of what I was saying is sort of find what works for you. So, you know, for me, I really can't push for, or we found like I didn't make a lot of progress if I just pushed the food for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So one, we sort of have a rhythm right now where, you know, we push the food for two or three weeks, obviously go off of check-ins and stuff like that and adapt towards there. But for the most part, the, the rhythm has been, you know, push two weeks, pull back a little bit for one week. So that would sort of look like, huh. um, you know, 55 to 5,600 calories for two weeks. Um, carbs pretty high protein, pretty high, you know, fats around a hundred. Um, and then we would pull back for a week, but not pull back a ton. So the calories are still about 5,000. We just pulled back some carbs, maybe a little bit of fats, you know what I mean? And I, my body weight really wouldn't <clears throat> fluctuate too much, but my, my digestion would improve a lot and my hunger would come back. And then we would push again for another two or three weeks. So that's sort of the rhythm we're in right now, if that makes sense. It does, man. That's really interesting. I've not heard of anyone do that. So it's almost like two weeks, um, two weeks moving up in weight, and then probably about a week or so of maintenance. It just helps you helps you feel a bit better to be able to push again. Yeah. 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 So I think also it's it's not even something that you know is like a signature of Andrew. It's just something that we sort of found out that works for me. You know, trial and error, and just sort of working together and. Hey, let's try this. And, you know, we do it one week and then, oh, wow, we've got a really good response there. Let's try it again because it worked, right? Yeah. So I think that's the good, that's how you find a good coach is someone that's adaptive, adaptive, you know, and they, if something worked, they sort of figure it out as you go. You know what I mean? So, hey, this worked. Uh, let's just keep doing it. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, it's also credit to you that you've actually stuck with him for four years, you know? So that yeah, it, so it, really it, gives, it gives the coach exactly time to know your body, which is great. Um, so, we, I guess this kind of uh, lends into the next question quite well. This is from Ollie Jackson. Um, you've made some really tremendous progress over the last five years. Uh, what do you attribute that to? If you can kind of give it an overall. What do you think? Um, I'm trying to think of something not so basic. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, because it's sort of like really the meat and potatoes. I mean, the biggest thing is consistency. I mean, for me, um, like when I first started uh, – you know, staying on a consistent diet was, it wasn't like I wasn't doing it, but it was hard. You know what I mean? I would still eat dirty here and there in the off season. It was really just formulating the biggest progress I made was when I really just, you know, stuck with a meal plan year round and, you know, executed everything to a T. I think the biggest, um, a lot of, I see a lot of people make the most progress when they take their off season as seriously as their prep. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so I think that's, that's one thing and sort of, um, um, you know, the biggest thing I think that helped as far as the training goes <clears throat> is really, you sort of touched on it with Jansen. He preaches a lot, but really just 
sort of connecting with the muscle, you know, making rep one through 10 look identical. Um, really. So if I'm doing a chest press on the hammer strength, you know, I'm really contracting the hell out of the chest and on the way down, I'm using that negative and really it's stretching the chest. And that first rep that I just explained is going to, the 10th rep is going to duplicate that. Right. Or, you know, whatever. Um, so it's, and also it's like, you know, say I'm doing a pull down, I want to target my, it's really getting, um, you know, really, you know, stimulating mentally as far as, you know, what's my intent as far as the exercise goes. So I think, you know, say like a lot pull down, you know, when I'm pulling down, I'm really contracting and squeezing my lats, you know, I might implement a dead stop to each rep and really recontract my lats and then execute again, recontract my lats, ex execute the next rep, you know what I mean? So, you know, little things like that can go a long ways. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of people squat and they just think about moving the weight. They don't think about, you know, putting the load on the quad as you're going down through the negative. They're not thinking about, you know, exploding and really, you know, trying to contract hard in your quads on the way up, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I actually think Ollie would like that answer because it's, it's very similar to what he's done. He's made some really good progress over the last couple of years and he's done a lot of what you've saying was just essentially pounding the basics. I mean, he, you know his coach, Alex, uh, from Team Metal Aesthetic. Aesthetic. Oh, yeah. um, so a lot of it just, is just pounding the, the basics, making sure that your form is consistent, your food is consistent, and then you're giving it time. Yeah, I think too, uh, so it's like, like for me, it's like each body part is a little bit different. So for me, like quads, I can really bang away, you know, just train heavy, you know, push it to the, push it to the wall. And then like something like chest, you know, I might not necessarily push as hard, but I really want to get inside my head on my form and like how to squeeze and, you know, really utilize my chest, take my shoulders and my arms out of it. Um, and back um, was a big one for me. I made a lot of back progress because I, you know, stopped using any hip drive, really, you know, pulling my elbows all the way back, you know, bring my, retracting my shoulder blades, contracting my back. And then also on the way down, you know, like letting it pull on my lats, you know what I mean? The weight, um, you know, stuff like that, you sort of get in your head of, you know, before it's like a meditation before you lift the weight. What am I, what do I want to do? What's my, you know, goal out of this exercise? You know what I mean? Um, you know, something like back, there's a lot of different areas you can focus on. So and it all depends on how you execute, um, I think, to where you want to target, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I think it's, it's a case of trying, trying to make the movement as hard as possible to talk, to hit the muscle as hard as possible, rather than, as you say, trying to just move the weight. Yeah. Well, that's what's funny because it's actually a side note of the current events is, you know, I think a lot of people, some people have touched on this, but, you know, it's times like this, a lot of people are going to figure out, you know, how to make exercises harder. Mm. And this might transpire into when we get back in the gym and it might be a much better trainer because, you know, they might be using bands and really squeezing the fuck out of their back, you know what I mean? Or squeezing, you know, on a bicep curl. And then when they get back in the gym and have real weights, you know what I mean? That's going to uh, aid in their, um, you know, progress. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the, the best ways that I've heard that described is you basically flex your muscle, but you just flex with weight, <laughs> which I think right. is a really nice way of putting it. Um, I'll just, just one more question on your training before I move on. Um, do you have a training routine or do you, do, will you go and say, let's say you're training back, will you just go and mix it up every day? You don't have like a, a list of exercises and things that you you like to do, right? Um, I am a little guilty of being like in, intuitive with my training, but um, I usually have like that's some, a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah. yeah, but I do usually have like a good structure of like what like I'm I'm really big in as far as like the reason why I want to train things in a certain order. Mm. So I'm very big as far as like say my back training. You know, I'm gonna. I love doing like a pull up or a pull down first. I just feel like it sort of loosens me up, gets my spinal erectors stretched out a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
And then I might do a pull over. I like focusing on my lats first. And then I might go into some bent over rows, T-bar rows. Um, you know, because I think your lats and the target is very hard to um, contract towards the end because you're so fatigued. Whereas like a row, you can sort of, um, you don't really have to focus as much, I guess, as far as like a pullover, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. So it's the same thing with, um, you know, like I was saying with the legs, it's like I like doing the quad extensions first and the adductor and then squatting. You know, I usually have a rhyme or reason of why uh, or the order I go in as far as training goes. You know, I think that's very important and a lot of people overlook is, you know, setting up a training program um, and sort of um, like where they put things and how they'll aid in other exercises as you go through the training. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's a good sort of balance between unstructured, instinctive, but at the same time, it's, it's instinctive, but in a sense, you know what works for you. And you're able, you're able to perhaps change it on a day when maybe you've got a niggle or something and you want to kind of work around it. Like you said, you don't always oh, squat yeah. every week. So you can, you can be intuitive enough that you should change that to hit the muscle the most effectively, right? Right. So pretty much like there's been times where I couldn't squat. So I, re- I already have a backup plan as far as like what's going to happen if I can't squat. You know what I mean? So I might walk into the gym and it's just not feeling good. So I have an, an option B already sort of set in my head, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I guess from my well, my point of view, all all the best bodybuilders seem to do it that way, but I've always struggled with that way. Um, um, I don't know. Is it my my coach, my old coach Chester? He he, that's how he trains. He just trains instinctively, and um, he'll he'll spend maybe like an forty five minutes on his rear delts if you uh, sometimes if you want to, you know. Um, but I yeah, always I'm wanted same, to. I'm the same way. Yeah, sometimes yeah. I connect connect with something. <laughs> I might stay on there longer than you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've tried it for a while, but I, and I will try it again, perhaps even during this quarantine time. I've just not been able to get my head around it. I'm much more into writing stuff down and executing, but I don't know. I, it, I just, whenever I talk to someone who does it really well, like you, it just makes me think all the best bodybuilders tend to lift that way. So I also think, um, you know, that's a, another thing, you know, a great coach can do is almost um, the psychology of the person or, or, you know, the background is, you know, some people are going to be different where they might need something exactly on paper. Um, you know, you're going to execute, you know, A to F this way and that way. And they need that. Whereas someone like myself or someone else, you know, might be able to sort of free ball it a little bit. And, uh, you know, they, they do a little bit better as far as like a little bit looser. Um, and some people are very, like, I know a lot of guys that like, they love the DC training or something like that. You know, they can, yeah. They, they like everything sort of on paper, you know, they do a log book, they do this and that. And it's always like sort of to the T and it's not really loose. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think that style of training has almost a sort of a romantic feel to it in the, in the UK because we have such a strong history. I mean, where I live, I'm about an hour away from where Dorian Yates's gym used to be. Uh, and it's, it, you can just tell the, that shadow is just all over UK bodybuilding. People still talk about Yates. I mean, the old guys at the gym used to train with them. And so there's still that massive sort of theme of progressive overload, which, which flows through what we do. Um, yeah, but it's, it, as I say, it's not, it's not for me. Uh, it's not, not something that I, I quite like doing, but I, I certainly will give the instinctive uh, training another try. Um, so we'll move on to the next question. Then. Um, this is from B. Michael Thomas, and he's, he's asking about off-season hormone protocol. Uh, so if you want to talk us through that. Yeah, I mean, first of all, my the thing I've learned is to stay away from orals. I think it's honestly there's no really significant use in them it, as far as myself, I guess. Um, I know some people might argue that, um, but I find unless you're a perfect specimen and you have no 
negative side effects from them. Yeah, sure. Meaning, you know, your blood markers are going to be great, your appetite, um, you know, your mood. Uh, I find, you know, a, a big thing is as far as like the orals, like the Anadrol, D-ball, you know, stuff like that. Some people like them off season is, you know, if it messes with your appetite or your training, <laughs> then you should throw it out the window. First of all, your training and your diet is always first and the, the gear is supplementation, right? Um, so if you can't have your training and your diet sort of perfected, I don't really see it's going to be, have a great benefit. Um, so I find a lot of people, including myself is, you know, they, they take it and they might get some great strength gains, but you know, two weeks in, they might feel lethargic. Um, like for me, I can barely keep my eyes open at work sometimes, or, you know, your appetite crashes and you can't get all your food down or, you know what I mean? You just, um, you know, aren't sleeping as well. Um, you know, stuff like that where, it's, I think it's really essential, especially in the off season. Um, and then also, honestly, I, so like a basic um, protocol is really just, you know, testosterone, usually, you know, anywhere from, you know, 750 to even 1200 uh, megs. And then, um, you know, EQ or NPP, maybe, and sometimes both together. Um, so I find myself in the um, sort of uh, like conservative, um, slash aggressive, I guess. I don't know. I'm not necessarily like super conservative, but I'm not super aggressive. I'm sort of in that middle line, I think. Um, uh, yeah. You know, for me, go ahead. I was just saying total, to the total would sound about, I don't know, in the gram to two gram range. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, the biggest thing I find is, um, uh, I can't remember where I'm going with this, but yeah. So I pretty much told you my test and usually, you know, EQ, I might get up to, mm. you know, 600. Uh, so I do, 600 milligrams a week and then maybe NTP like three, 400 milligrams a week. Um, I like doing, I don't mind doing a couple of different few compounds, but I think at some point when your doses start getting high, like, you know, there's, they call it like what the, the, the place of like no returns or, or yeah, diminishing, sure. returns. diminishing returns. Yeah, so it's sure. like, it, it's like you can only add so much where you're really sort of starting to get any sort of positive and you're not getting more negatives than positives out of it. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, and honestly, I think there's a, you know, some people get really too wrapped up in it where it's like, say they're on, you know, 300 milligrams of NPP and they're like, oh, I'm going to go to 500. Like, is that really going to make a difference? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, um, I think, I think, I think it's fine that sweet spot there about people getting too wrapped up on it is, is so true. I, I think the, the consistent theme with all the really good bodybuilders that I've had on the podcast is it's diet and training is number one. I mean, the, the hormones yeah. and the supplements just support that. And you can say that till you're blue in the face and people won't believe you until they're actually there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think another key aspect too is, you know, a lot of people don't really have um, any idea as far as like how to balance their estrogen. Um, they're either, you know, really, you know, crushing their estrogen or they're really sort of not doing anything about it. You know, it's really sort of finding that, you know, great balance. And, you know, it's a very, I think, uh, overlooked aspect as far as like protocols go. On that uh, point, actually, what is your stance on the use of AIs in the off season? Actually, it's, um, you know, it might be uncommon, but I'm actually a big fan of Nolodex, um, low dose. Um, you know, I think it really helps because it, it's not necessarily crushing their estrogen, but it's sort of suppressing it. Um, I know it's sort of an old school method, um, but it's one of those things sort of Andrew and Andrew's under John Meadows and they're sort of that lineage. Um, they're sort of big on that. Um, it's one of those things where it's like I was saying, it's sort of you're, you're balancing it out. You're not necessarily, you know, uh, you know, crushing your estrogen, whereas, you know, maybe 
some guys might be taking an aroma next, you know, one milligram every day. I feel like that's, you know, there's got to be a happy medium. So I think with something like Nobodex, that really helps sort of keep you at balance. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's just a case of getting your androgen estrogen ratio intact. So, you know, your, your estrogen's not, not stupid high, but you don't have to crush it. Absolutely. It's also, it's also a thing, you know, very, just like anything in bodybuilding, but very individual. I mean, you got to really figure out, I can't say to someone, Hey, you know, especially without, you know, blood work and them really sort of doing the experience on their own. Hey, take one milligram of Remnex every day and that's going to work for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no really, you know, formula for each person as far as the estrogen parts goes. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's a fairly, you know, clear cut sort of straight answer. I, you know, there's nothing ma- massively intricate to talk about there, but just one last question on that. Do you, do you uh, mess with growth and slim at all or is that not on the menu? Yeah. So, um, the, I, I do really prefer to stick to the pharmaceutical growth hormone and I feel like four IU is pretty much perfect that I sort of went up and I've gone down and, you know, I've tried some really high doses at some point and I really didn't notice much of a difference, honestly. So I think the, the four to six is sort of like that perfect range. And, um, obviously it's sort of, how's your bank account doing? <laughs> you yeah. Know, so that's, a, that's another aspect. Um, and then, I mean, as far as the, you know, insulin go, we've, we've done it a lot, um, pre-training, post-training, um, anywhere from, you know, five to 10, so we've even tried 15 units um, pre and post. Mm-hmm. And then there's been times where I haven't used it at all. I mean, um, I think it's definitely aided in some of my success. Mm-hmm. But now at, at my point, I haven't really used much at all this last year. I just, I don't know. It's, um, it's one of those things I think as you go through your career, yeah, there's something that might help you. And then down the road, you might be like, ah, I'm not really into it as much anymore. I think yeah. right now I'm not really huge on it. I think it sometimes it, I think it might be one of those things that's a little overrated. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think, you know, that oh, I'm going to add GH and insulin and put on, you know, 20 pounds of muscle and you know, it doesn't really work like that. I find yeah. at least myself. But. Well, there's been some very vocal people on the internet who mostly on the internet who have said, you know, talking about mutating and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to give any forums the, uh, the credit <laughs> named them, but there's been some pretty ridiculous claims. I think, you know, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I find, you know, it, it, you really can't really necessarily rush the products. There's a, a process. There's obviously, you know, things that we have to do, but I think there's, it's just a game of being patient, you know, getting better, smarter, improving as far as training and diet goes and, you know, just sort of, you know, doing your time and then sort of, you know, exploiting the best of your ability of your genetics. You know, it's, I, I think you ask any pro, I mean, for the most part, there's sure there's some outliers, but for the most part, these guys are not doing what people think they're doing. You know what I mean? Their, their genetics are too powerful that, you know, they don't really, you know, they might be doing probably less than me. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. Res- response makes a huge difference. Um, so just going on to that question, then moving on to um, the next one, what, where do you find people go wrong in bodybuilding? So things that you've perhaps seen, or let's say clients who you've had come to you and you're looking at picking apart what they're doing wrong where what do you often see going wrong um, i think you know one thing is especially you know i've had some guys that i've trained with is they don't really and i'm not like you know some dusty Hanshaw or one of those crazy maniacs but you know they don't really know what intensity is until they sort of see it for themselves it's one of those things where you're the hardest worker in the room until you're until you're in the room with the hardest worker, whatever they say. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it, it's so intensity. I think is the biggest piece. You know, and this is obviously I've heard it touched on a, of some other um, shows, but 
you know, it's really not necessarily your training style, but it's like, how is your output, your intensity? Um, so if you're training high volume, low volume, no matter what, there has to be intensity and you have to be like, you know, giving your all and putting a lot of effort into it. Right. So I think that's a big piece, especially if you are any in most gyms, just say you're walking around the gym and just sort of, and that, and now, uh, um, uh, like sort of um, spectating the, the room or whatever, you know, most people, you know, nine times out of 10 are, aren't really, really working as hard as probably they should be. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I totally get it. I, I, I do. And I think that's been another consistent theme with a lot of the big guys that I've got onto the, onto the podcast is people just generally just don't work hard enough. I know Alex is a big proponent of that. He just he keeps talking about it, but people just aren't training with the level of intensity, which is they need at that advanced level to really say to the muscle, look, you got to get bigger. Well, it's, you know, I am a fan of some stuff that Dorian said. I mean, I might not train like him, but, you know, one of the things that was the greatest, I think, I, I don't know verbatim what he said, but, you know, I remember him saying, you know, you, you get to that certain, you pretty much train to an uncomfortable place, your body adapts, and then you get to another uncomfortable place, your body adapts, and so on and so forth, right? That's it. Exactly. And there's a lot to be said for that, the sort of the once a week bro split in that sense, because you can just pound the living hell out of the muscle with safe in the knowledge that it's going to respond because it will like if it's if you, you know if you because let's say for example you're training like a lot of a lot of proponents in the uk do the chest training twice a week and everything twice a week now for that you have to naturally minimize the volume so you know you you've got total volume sure but in it's a sense of well are you really delivering the message during that session that this you need to grow but if you're doing it once a week and you're pounding the living crap out of it that's going to grow. Like it might take a week to recover. You might not hit it again for a week, but it's going to grow. So. Well, it's, it's funny. Cause I mean, yeah. usually I think there's a big mix up as far as, uh, you know, volume and uh, frequency, you know, they're two different things, you right. know? So I usually train less frequency, but my volume is still high. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So I might, I might be training, uh, you know, one body part a week, but you know, my volume is very high on those days that I am training in the gym. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. But definitely. yeah, uh, not to get off, to get back on the subject um i think you know intensity and then um you know it's obviously i mean it's pretty it's the diet is just you know it's just sort of like one of those things you just you know the biggest thing that i've learned for myself is uh you know and as a human being is the more you do something the more it becomes habitual right so i think for me um you know the diet for me at heart it was hard at first but the more i sort of did it and you know sustained and you know, accumulated it like a perfect diet, you know, all those days, it just became sort of second nature, you know, so, you know, now I really can't see me like not eating out of Tupperware jar and eating six meals a day. Like, even if I'm, you know, very full, it's sort of like just sort of what you do, I guess, at this point, it's sort of like that old saying, you know, it's, you know, you don't need motivation, you need discipline or whatever, you're not always going to be motivated, but you know what I mean? Sort of discipline, sort of rules, you know, it's sort of that consistency that becomes, sort of uh, embedded in us right i love that i love that and i think i think there's something to be said in terms of mental health for regularity as well that regularity oh, yeah, that definitely. consistency it provides that secure security almost that you can get about your daily life and for, i find for me personally i find it makes me a better person like i'm much more relaxed when i'm just on it everything you know i can do I, I, i'm sure. just a better person yeah it's also too i mean a lot of people getting started out it's sort of like what's your why like what's your intent um mm. You know, especially when it comes to the competitive world, it's, uh, you know, especially with these 
sort of the, the the newer classes and stuff like that you know everyone sort of i know this is sort of a broken record sometimes but you know everyone sort of wants to turn pro overnight you know what i mean but you know for myself it's really about you know i love the process i love the journey i think you know to really sort of sustain in the sport i mean you sort of got to be in that category of you know what i mean i just you got to love the lifestyle you know um not necessarily you got to be able to take a long off season you know to progress sometimes you you know you might have to do something you don't really like but you know it's always about sort of getting better um you know and sort of it's just sort of you know there's a lot of people I guess that sort of I think that not necessarily they're in it for the wrong reasons but they need to dig a little deeper of sort of like why they're doing this you know what I mean and not necessarily uh, for outside voices or whatnot well I think I think everybody can make good progress when the going's good you know because they've got that sort of carrot on the stick but uh, I mean I say that to some younger guys you can have years where you're not making progress you know, I mean, I the majority of, of my my time was powerlifting and strongman, but there were years when I was go I was going backwards through major injuries or whatever else. I just was hitting my head against the wall for some reason, and I couldn't figure it out. But um, you know, some I'd have a stretch of maybe four or five years where I just explode with growth and strength. But you might have a bad year, and it may well happen. And it's, uh, yeah, as long as you love the process, as long as you love the actual underlying process, I think you're going to be good. Well, that's another thing too is I mean progress is easy sort of when everything's going great in life right but it's <laughs> can you make progress when sort of you know shit's hitting the fan you know can you sort of execute you know when maybe your life is you know sort of not going great um you know it's sort of easy to talk about progress when you know everything's sort of happening good in your life but it's you know really um the true testimony is uh when you know and nothing's really going good and are you still making progress you know Absolutely, absolutely. So, just to uh, to expand on that a little bit, next question: the What's the importance of to you? What's the importance of family and the support network to your bodybuilding success? Uh, so, say that again. Uh, so, if you could just talk about the importance of family and your support network to your bodybuilding success. Um, uh, that's hard. Dude. I mean, me and my mom are close and stuff like that, but I don't really have a huge family. Um, Honestly, uh, you know, me and my mom are really close, but it's not really, she's not really so much, uh, you know, really super in tune with the bodybuilding thing. She supports me and is like, yeah, good job, you know, but yeah. not really super, uh, she doesn't go to like all my shows or nothing like that. But, you know, as far as family, I consider, you know, Andrew Barry's, you know, as far as it goes, you know, family, a mentor, one of my best friends and my girlfriend, Abby, she also competes. Um, so, you know, having those two in my corner, you know, and I have a couple of buddies online, like. Uh, my buddy Clinton said, you know, we talk every day, yeah. um, you know, they sort of keep me motivated. Um, you know, some of those guys, you know, that I talk to online, you know, I don't really know in person. So it's sort of, you know, funny saying that, but you know, you build a relationship where you sort of check in with them and you know what I mean? We can sort of keep each other in line and sort of joke around and, you know, it's sort of that good camaraderie that sort of keeps you, you know, in, uh, in check with the bodybuilding world and, and definitely gives you pushing more and, you know, and Andrew's always believed in me like more than I have believed in myself. And, uh, you know, me and him have a great relationship. Um, you know what I mean? So he's one that really, uh, he's, a, he's been a great mentor. You know, he's, he's done a lot of stuff in life too, not just bodybuilding where I've sort of looked up to him as far as like, you know, how I want to, you know, go about, you know, uh, uh, performing in life as well. So, yeah. um, you know, having like key people like that, you know, they say, uh, I've heard a couple of people say this but you know like bodybuilding is an individual sport but i mean you know you have those people and it obviously makes you much more successful 
is it is it helpful to have a girlfriend who competes as well like in the sense that she kind of gets what you're going through oh yeah definitely so i mean actually uh, um so me and abby are actually training partners too so that's also super yeah. helpful and awesome uh it actually some sometimes it's uh it's cool because i actually think about like me and her as like you know jay and uh carrie you remember i don't know if you remember carrie in his videos yes i do yeah that's right yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so, I, yes. so, yeah. I, so i sort of like see that i'm like oh yeah that's us you know what I mean? mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh because she trains really hard and she can spot me and you know what i mean we have a lot of fun in the gym uh you know she pushes herself as far as like weight training goes you know she's not scared to go for prs or fail in the squat rack you know stuff like that so you know i see like stuff like that like her going to failure and i'm like oh shit now i gotta you know sort of go to failure too if i don't want to that day <laughs> um and then i mean as far as you know like she competes as well in figure and um it's been pretty cool because uh like i did our first prep for her and then you know she ventured off and you know did some other coaches and stuff like that now she's with a girl named alexia tuttle um but uh yeah i mean it's is just really cool because chris's wife yeah chris's wife yeah, gotcha. yeah. sorry <laughs> yeah but no yeah it's been awesome because uh you know, it's really fun because, you know, I've been able to, you know, go to a show and support her. She's been able to go to my shows and support me. And like, we know what we, we know what we are going through, you know, and as far as prep goes, we have a really good, like mind frame as far as like how each person acts and prep and like what to sort of, you know, how to be supportive and stuff like that. And so it's, it's been pretty good as far as that goes. And we've been able to do a show together. So that was really fun. We prep for, you know, one show together. We hope to do another one together. So excellent so final question about bodybuilding is um who are your favorite people in bodybuilding uh i mean for me jay cutler is just the man i mean <laughs> just all around i mean he checks all the boxes you know what i mean and yeah i guess uh he just has like that freak factor i just remember him in 2009 when he walked out and just <sighs> amazing his frame is so wide <laughs> yeah. it's uh you know he's just very impressive and um you know I'm, i've always been a big fan of phil he's physique um it's just you know crazy like even uh another year i always remember of his that i really loved was that a lot of people don't talk about it the 2010 arnold classic i don't know if you remember that one mm-hmm. he got second to kai and uh man his detail on the skin is just like translucent <laughs> you know what i mean in, it's in, just in, like, yeah in those early shows I, I thought he almost looked better than than when he was yeah. on his winning streak you know <sighs> phenomenal always been a big fan of like the detail and like sort of that see-through skin and just like it's just crazy you know like uh lines so deep um so really big fan of there it's the great thing about phil about um, phil heath is in the off season he doesn't look like much he just looks like so very smooth you know but when he diets done holy shit the detail it's insane yeah he's uh i mean i was a big fan of kai too coming up i mean he got a little blockier to my liking, but those early yeah. years, you know, and Arnold and, you know, when he won the Arnold's it's crazy. Yeah. And what a great poser as well. Oh yeah. It's, I, we actually, it's funny. Me and my girlfriend watch, um, the Kai Green posing routine, I think from that year that he won the Arnold. That's, mm-hmm. oh, it's crazy. Like the yeah. way he moves and everything. Incredible. <laughs> like the last Arnold, do you remember that routine? I think yeah. it was like 2016 or 17. Which one was that? Uh, 2017. The one that he beat Cedric. I'll have to have a look, actually. Oh, it was crazy. <laughs> that was like, I think that was his best routine ever, honestly. <laughs> You'll have to check it out, though. Let me know what yeah, you're saying. Check it out, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, a phenomenal physique. I, I can't see him coming back, but yeah, certainly a phenomenal Yeah, yeah, physique. I don't, yeah. 
I know that's sort of, you know, that's the thing right now is, you know, who's coming back, who's not, I don't really see, especially this whole virus thing really messes everything up. Cause I think I was optimistic about, you know, Phil maybe coming back, but now with all this stuff, it's like, eh, I don't really see it happening now. I thought that too. In fact, that was something that Ollie mentioned on the last podcast. Like if he came back and he pulled, he pulled off a sort of a Jay Cutler-esque comeback where he was perhaps right. even more shredded than ever. He'd even slimmed down a little bit and he just had that ridiculous, Kai Green detail without the without the stomach, right. that would that would cement him as one of the all time greats yeah. in everybody's uh, eyes. Yeah. You can't deny him then. Right. <laughs> I just I just well, bought up. I was just going to say, it's funny how you start to miss these people now that, you know, I mean, even wrote, even Rodin, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, they were never good enough to some people, I'm not saying us, but some people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, like people are missing them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're right though. You're right. I mean, I think, I think people appreciate the physiques after they've had a bit of time to sort of move on. Like a lot of, I mean, right. I remember back when I was looking at the bodybuilding magazines to begin with, Jay was never really favored that much. I think it was only late 2000 yeah. when he was he would really be the poster boy for things. When I first got into it, you know, early 2000s, he wasn't really considered that much. Um, I mean, it's quite amusing. People, Sean Ray, hearing Sean Ray talk about himself, about how he's, you know, talk about him against Dexter recently. And I mean, I remember him, Sean Ray from the magazines, he was never put forward as a contender to win the Olympia, like not once. Yeah. Uh, it was, just wasn't, he wasn't on the cards for him. They didn't take him that seriously. Yeah. And he seems to have a very interesting view of himself. But he's a great bodybuilder, don't get me wrong. But well, it's, it's funny because he's almost, if you think about it, he actually has the Dexter role back then where, yeah. you know, a lot of people might not have talked to him, but he was so consistent. And, yes. you know, he always looked pretty damn good. So he's sort of, you know, sort of stuck in there sometimes, sort of like Dexter did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just while, while we were talking, I brought up Kai's uh, 2017 routine. Yes. Yeah. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah. I know. I know which one you mean. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll look at um, the final sort of section in. Um, you you mentioned on your Instagram recently you've dipped into online coaching. So, uh, yep. what challenges have you faced so far with that? What 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 are some of the things you find the hardest, or or even your clients find the hardest? I think, uh, you know, one of the hardest pieces, especially for me being sort of new is, um, uh, it's hard because sometimes in bodybuilding, you're not necessarily, if you're a good coach, you're not necessarily making changes all the time. And maybe people are looking for that. Um, so it can be hard because some people might not understand where you're coming from. Um, so I do like to explain myself. I know some of the veterans don't really like to be bothered and say, I'm not teaching you. You're here. I'm just, you're just here to like follow me. But I think as a newer coach, you sort of got to, you know, uh, create that. So down the road, you can sort of have that um, referral as far as like clients go, you know what I mean? And then you can sort of adapt as you go, you know what I mean? Sort of like any business, right? I mean, if you're first starting out in a small business, you know, you sort of got to do stuff that you might not want to do, you know, pound the pavement, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the biggest things that I've ran into is <clears throat> for me, it's, you know, I think coaching is not this, uh, I feel like it's simple, um, but it's really intuitive. Right. So it's really knowing when to do certain things. So, you know, I think a lot of people might be looking for something overly fancy um, yeah. when the answer is not that. <laughs> so it, you have to sort of, um, make people people feel uh, like comfortable and trustworthy in what you're doing because maybe they're looking for more. Um, but it's almost like, uh, you know, this is simple, but we're the main reason why you're coming to me is to sort of, I'm going to show you one and one not to do things. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I like that point about sort of just teaching them. I think some of the best coaches I've had have taught me things rather than just told me things. 
and that that is super important and it ultimately you get a lot more value from that and i think you build a lot more trust well i think too it goes hand it it'll lead to further success i think you know some people are scared they might lose clients but you're always going to lose clients no matter what it's yeah. you know it's that sort of um growing as far as like you're always got clients coming in as they're going out you know what i mean mm-hmm. so you always have the expectation of yeah i might lose someone here and there but am i going to get two or three people in response to those clients leaving that sort of give you the good word as they move forward you know yeah. i think ultimately if your client's in it for the right reasons you know they're in it for the long haul then the more you can teach them the more that does build trust and ultimately they're probably not going to move off i mean my my strategy from the beginning was just to give my clients as much as i could and and to the to the point of building trust and that's generally not backfired that much so uh, i'm, I'm going to carry on doing that i think yeah definitely um in terms of uh in terms of what you're the most proud of in terms of your coaching what what are some of the, your proudest moments in terms of coaching um well i do have uh, uh, how, one year. sorry oh, go, go ahead. ahead sorry sorry go ahead yep uh, I was just going to say, I do have, uh, you know, one guy, this uh, gentleman, Mike, and it's just been really a pleasure because he's been with me for almost a year and a half. So, um, and he doesn't really necessarily have like uh, amazing genetics, but his work ethic, I've got to see him, you know, really work hard for sort of what he's achieved. And also um, it always, he's a client that sort of surprises me that not necessarily that he's doing the work, but I'm just always like impressed because he doesn't really miss a beat. And I think that's just really like rewarding and refreshing because it's sort of, I find it sort of few and far between, you know, like for example, he's been with me for so long and now this quarantine thing and he's just like actually looking better than he ever has. And I'm just like, I told him too, I was like, man, I'm just so impressed because you're not really, you haven't missed a beat and like (laughs) you're improving. Like, you know what I mean? It's not really supposed to be happening, you know? um, It's cool when you get someone so dedicated and they just don't really, they 100% trust in what you're saying them, to, uh, telling them, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. I think you can you can also tell as well when people are giving you the right information about what they're doing. Like I find a simple way is just how much their body weight fluctuates. So I'll have some people who say, well, they're, they're eating on a meal plan, but their body weight's all over the place. And I'm like, that shouldn't really happen. <laughs> you know, right, if you've got somebody right. who's consistently eating the same food day in, day out, there'll be some small fluctuations, of course, but not a massive amount. And that, that's, for me, that's usually a fairly easy indicator to say, well, who's kind of on it, you know? Yeah, I think nine times out of 10, your coach sort of usually has a good idea of what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I was just one last question, which is, which is on the list. Um, in terms of your coaching style, um, are you a very hands-on uh, sort of like a mothering type coach or do you just kind of tell people as it is? Uh, I think I'm more of the hands-on mothering type because for me, I think, um, you know, I'm still young in the game. So I sort of got to prove myself and um, I am like sort of worried about client retention, you know, so yeah. I'm sort of still building that base and still building um, sort of my beginning products, if I would say, you know, right. it's like sort of that first, you know, set of examples of what your work is. Um, so I think for, I think it's important for uh, sort of newer coaches, you know, you might have to, you know, put in some extra effort on people that you might not want to, but I think down the road, you know, that'll pay off as far as, you know, as you, as you grow and you get bigger, you know, you can sort of back away from that and sort of have more of a happy medium. Yeah. 
Not so I will like, you know, people will text me randomly and I'll, I'll always answer whatever they say. I always try to be very, um, you know, pretty much answer any questions, you know, they can text me any day of the, during the week, uh, not just sort of one check in a week. That's all you get sort of guy, you know, you know, you check in and then if you have questions as the week goes, like feel free to text me anytime and I'll try to get right back to you. And, you know, the main thing I really try to shoot for is a very quick response time. So I think that's a lot of <clears throat> what I'm finding a lot of these days is what I hear from other people is they hire someone and they're really not get getting a, as responsive as uh, they were sort of intending, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think like a lot of the markets, well, we'll see after all this stuff, but <laughs> the market was uh, so crazy. You know, a lot of coaches started and, you know, they might bite off more than they can chew. You know, they might've been only saying, Oh, I'm, I'll probably get 40 clients. And then next thing you know, they got 80 clients and you know, you're not going to turn down work. Right. <laughs> so, right. Uh, so that might be more of a, you know, something they more to get off more than they could chew um, sort of say, um, and I think the biggest thing I found is, you know, I didn't really make it official um, as far as advertising goes, as far as I was coaching until after nationals. So that was like November. Yes. Because I really, I was working with people still for maybe a year and a half before that. Right. But I really wanted to find out a formula as far as efficiency um, and, you know, how to be organized. Because I think that's a big thing that maybe a lot of people might struggle with is, you know, you get say you get up to 70 clients is like, how do you manage that? Right. Yeah. So I think you really got to get down that um, aspect as far as, you know, managing your clients, how to uh, sort of orchestrate that become efficient before you sort of start growing. Yeah. I think that's, that, that's huge. And it's something I've been, been working on a lot over the last few years and just getting to the, getting to the point where you can automate the things you can automate to allow you to actually put attention and time into the things which deserve attention and time. That's being, exactly. that's, you know, there's, there's certain things that we can do there, but yeah, brilliant. All right, Nate. Um, thank you very much for, for coming on. Um, what I, I lo I love the chat. I, I thought it started off far more in depth than I, than I had hoped for. So that was really interesting So thank you for that. And I, what I'd like to do is at some point, maybe get you back on for a discussion of the contest results. I know you're a big fan of bodybuilding. So, uh, oh, yeah. perhaps, perhaps before the Olympia, if hopefully it goes ahead this year, we can do a little chat on uh, who we think is going to win. That could be quite fun. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank right. you for having me on. I appreciate the time. Take care. Nate. Have a good day, mate.